Okay, principles of Bible study. Uh, you might say, you know, principles of Bible study, what is that and why is that? Okay, well, I'm sure, and I don't know everybody that's watching, but if, if you've read your Bible or for some of you tried to read your Bible and said, man, I, I don't get some of this, that's a part of what principles of Bible study do for you. Uh, even if you've been through discipleship in our church or, or other churches that are like-minded, and, and you started to learn uh, some things about what happened to me when I got saved and, and about baptism and the Lord's Supper and, and your role in the church and, and missions and, and the judgment seat of Christ and so on. There are principles in the Word of God that keep you out of trouble on the one hand, but give you direction on the other. You know, if you want to go hiking, you don't just put on your shorts and your Bermuda shirt and, and a rucksack and go, boom, right out into the woods. Maybe you do, uh, but it's a good way to get lost. Uh, unless you have a compass, unless you have a map, or unless you have a trail. And at the beginning of most trails, like in the national parks and well-maintained areas, there's what's called uh, a, a trailhead sign. And at the trailhead, that's where it starts, there's a sign that tells you what this trail is and oftentimes where that trail goes. So that's what principles of Bible study do. They give you principles so that when you come to the Word of God, you can start to make sense of it. Now, the biggest key is going to be the Holy Spirit of God. If you're saved and you have the Holy Spirit of God in you then, because you're saved, He is our greatest teacher. He is the one who does the teaching. He's the one who wrote the Word of God. He's the one who put it together for us. So it makes sense, just common sense, logical sense, to go to the author, God himself, the, the Holy Spirit of God. We do that by going into his word and, and starting to see what does he say and what does that mean. Um, there are some obvious things, such as the Old Testament tells me I'm supposed to go take a lamb without spot or blemish and, and sacrifice it, but, but we don't do that today. Why? Well, the principles of Bible study help us to understand those things and see those things and make sense of them with the, uh, the help of the Holy Spirit of God, who is the only one who can truly explain that to us. So I'm going to start uh, by reviewing quickly uh, in the very first one. There are several. This is a, uh, a list of around 20-some. Uh, I will tell you it's not exhaustive. There are other things. Uh, maybe there's some things that some people leave out, some uh, other things folks put in. The important thing is there are some key elements here that will help you to make sense of what's going on in the Word of God. So as you start down the trail, as you're, you're going through life and you're going through the Word of God because you know you need to read it, okay, I'm supposed to read my Bible. I don't get it. This is going to help you, okay? So bef before we get started, yes, I do. I'm sorry. Hang on, folks. Who needs a, anyone, brother? I'm off camera. Give me just a second, folks. I don't know where the camera is, but there we go. And I, you know what? I'm going to leave these back here, and that way if somebody needs them, they've got, they've got them. You guys got them? Okay. You're good. Okay. So before we jump into the very first one, let me just make this simple statement. Um, when it comes to the Word of God, understanding it, um, there's a principle that I like to use, and it, and it goes right with everything that we're, we're teaching in principles of Bible study, and that is simply this. Before you try to figure out what it means, take the time to go back and read it slowly 
and find out what does that verse say. Until you really read and, and see what does it say, you're not going to be able to figure out what it means. And there's a whole lot of other things that we have talked about and taught in this series that teach you what to do with that verse, the verses before it and after it, the chapters, breakdown. And if you have not seen this uh, or been a part of this study with us previously, then uh, I'm going to run through it. Hopefully you pick up on some things. Uh, come and see us, and we will uh, get you set up, too, to learn these as well. So before starting anything, remember, before I try to figure out what it means, read what it says very carefully. And by that also, folks, let me just say this. That means read what it says without trying to make it say what you want it to. Because a lot of times we do that. And a lot of times we see a word and we define it the way we use it. Well, the Bible was not written by me and it wasn't written by you, right? You say, well, men and women wrote it. No, God wrote it. But he used pencils, uh, you know, by the name of Moses and Isaiah and, and several others, obviously, throughout several thousand years. He did that using man as pencils, holy men of God, the word of God tells us. You have to then go to the author to define the words that he used, which means you have to use the Bible to define those words, not what does Google tell me when I look it up? What does this word mean? Okay, that'll get you messed up quick, not just because it's Google. Yeah, that'll mess you up, but because that is that he's not the author. They're not the author. God is. So to get started, before we try to figure out what it means, read what it says. And to do that, we'll start with the very first principle of Bible study, and this is the most important one, and I will tell you that all the rest help you do this. And the very first one is understanding the context. That's the first principle of Bible study. Now, I'm going to move through these fairly quick for time's sake because we want to get into uh, where we left off uh, or, and then finish this up over the next few weeks. So the principle here is, before you ask what a verse or passage means, you must determine the context of it, okay? A person can say, man, that's killer. Well, if you don't have context, you don't know. Is that, does that mean they thought it was really good, or does that mean they saw somebody murdered? Well, you know, what does that mean without context? Second Peter 3, 15 and 16 says this, An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Now, that word rest, it's like wrestling. It comes from the same place. It's to, to violently tear it and manipulate it and, and, and make it say or make it do what they want instead of what God actually wants. So when it comes to the Word of God, the first thing you have to do is understand context. And the very first thing that I mentioned, uh, such as, you know, in, I read back here in uh, the first part of the Bible where it says to take a lamb without spot or blemish and, and sacrifice it. But I don't see that mentioned over here in the New Testament. But something about Jesus being a lamb, what is all that? Well, context, and, and you'll see that as we go through here. There was something else going on back then that is now not going on. Actually, it's been fulfilled. 
And uh, well, you, you see that when you understand context. Very important. Um, give you another example. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 16, it says, For where a testament is, there must also of necessity, necessity be the death of the testator. Which simply means this. When you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's in your New Testament, right? When you open up your New Testament, the very first thing you see is Matthew, then Mark, Luke, and John. However, doctrinally speaking, and we'll talk, speak to that here in just a moment, that's in your New Testament, but it's not the church that's being addressed. And again, we'll, we'll speak to that in a moment. The, the death of the testator, who's the testator? Somebody that's here. Jesus Christ, that's right. Was Jesus dead in the majority of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? No. So those things are not in effect, just like in a will, a testament, okay? The, the, the will that I have doesn't actually go into effect until I die. Then it comes out, my attorney reads it with everybody sitting down and hopefully weeping and crying and, you know, I can't believe he's gone. No, hopefully they're happy and they're excited because they know I'm where I want to be, okay? Uh, and, and that's not here. I mean, here, yes, but I'd rather be at home with him. So where a testament is, there must also necessarily be the death of the testator. So those first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, doctrinally are different than the rest of your New Testament because he didn't die until the last chapter or two of most of those four books. So there's, again, context. You've got to determine the context. I don't know of anyone who likes to be quoted out of context. Do you? All right? When you're quoted out of context, you're being, you know, violated, so to speak. You know, you're being done wrong. And it's no different with God. Keep God's context the way it should be. Okay, the second thing is understanding biblical people groups. Now, the principle that we looked at there is the fact that the Bible is written to three broad groups of people, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 to 33. We're not going to read all of that, but I'll read you the, the first couple. Um, or I'm sorry, 32 and 33. It says, Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Even as I please all men and all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Now, understand that all Scripture, okay, is written for me, right? It's, it's written for us. That's why we have a Bible. But not all Scripture is written directly to me, all right? Just like we talked about that lamb in the Old Testament. They were talking to the Jews back there. They were talking to somebody other than the church. Those three people groups, for those of you taking notes or haven't been through this, Jew, and it's right there in 1 Corinthians 10.32, Jews, Gentiles, and the church. Now, that covers everybody throughout history, okay? If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile, by the way, just in case you're wondering, all right? But then apart from that, you have the church, those who are in Christ. So those three, uh, all Scripture is written to me, but it's not all for me. Some of it is directed at the Jews. Some is directed at Gentiles. Some is directed to the church. Okay? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. If you're taking notes at home, this is one you want to write down. Look at All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be 
perfect, thoroughly, not thoroughly, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Thoroughly is from the inside out. Thoroughly is from the outside in. It's thoroughly. It's got to be saved. Got to have the Spirit of God in there. Otherwise, that can't happen. Okay? So that's the second thing. Bible is written to three major groups of people. Okay? Now, sometimes it's written to two groups. You'll, you'll see it addressed to one, but it actually covers two groups. Or maybe uh, occasionally, I'm trying to think where it would cover all three, but you've got some overlap sometimes. Okay, the next thing that we looked at after context and people groups was biblical divisions. Now, the principle of biblical divisions, some of that is very clear. Uh, you look at, you know, you open your Bible and you have what? Two Testaments, right? Old Testament, New Testament. There's a division. That's real simple. In the New, I'm sorry, the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's some breakdowns. Uh, there's some very simple divisions in the Bible as far as uh, books, chapters, and things like that. And they've got numbers and everything. That gives you divisions, okay? Um, you might notice that um, Paul, when he writes uh, his, his epistles, his letters, okay, that's what the word means, they're written to um, believers mostly of a Gentile background, and whereas Peter, James, and John have a Hebrew audience. So you'll see some of these things start to happen, all these principles, and all of a sudden what was um, like a puzzle, if you've ever put together a jigsaw puzzle, all right, you dump all these pieces out, whether it's 32 with my grandkids or 3,500, okay? Um, my wife, Lisa, loves to put a, a jigsaw puzzle together between Christmas and New Year's, all right? They keep getting bigger and bigger and harder and harder. And um, God bless her, have a good time. That's not my thing, okay? But when you look at that, all you see is pieces. But what do you do? You take the picture, right, the cover, and you start separating those pieces out into the groups. Okay, here's all the, the grays, and here's the, the pinks, and here's the multi, and, and here's the water, okay, or here's the tree. You can start putting them into groups, right? And then you start putting the pieces where they belong, and after a while, boom, the picture, it, it appears, right? It becomes apparent. That's what happens with the Word of God. And understanding the divisions, like, okay, these are the water pieces, these are the, the ground pieces, these are the sky pieces, simple things like that help you to put that together quicker. I hope that makes sense to folks. So, biblical divisions. There's seven natural divisions of the Old Testament. You've got Israel in formation. That's Genesis through Deuteronomy. You've got Israel in the land, uh, Joshua, Judges, and Ruth, Israel in the kingdom, 1 Samuel through 2 Chronicles, commonly called the six books of the kings. Uh, Israel in captivity, Ezra, Nehemiah, uh, and Esther. Uh, then you have the wisdom or poetic uh, books, five of those, Job, Psalm, uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, uh, or as some folks call it, Song of Songs. Then you have the five books of the major prophets, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And then the rest is comprised of the minor prophets. Minor, in this case, does not mean less important. It means they're smaller books. That's all that means. In fact, you spend a little time in these 12 books of Hosea through Malachi, and there is some crazy cool stuff in there. And there are some things that will really open up your eyes to 
who God is and how he works and, and what he's doing and what he thinks. I mean, there's incredible things in there, okay? So major and minor prophets have nothing to do with importance. They are all important. It's just the size of the books, okay? Uh, you know, Isaiah's got 66, okay? So that's a bunch. Um, in the New Testament, you have seven, seven natural divisions also. You have the Gospels that we talked about, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You have history, book, Acts. Acts is kind of like the, uh, the board we have out here sometimes. If you're in Jeff Trude's uh, class, Pastor uh, Jeff has a board that he uses all the time and, and, and draws on. Well, if you, if you took the book of Acts and you put it across the top of that, you could take most of your New Testament, not all, but most of it, and put it in underneath there at certain points. And that's a good thing to do, by the way, because, again, it gives you context. It helps you to see when he's talking about, hey, I was at Philippi, and this is how I was treated there. Oh, okay, put that right here, okay? It, it, it helps you to see what's going on better, okay? Sometimes people think, okay, I'm reading Acts, and at the end of Acts, now all these other things happened after that. And that's not true. Most of those things happened within the book of Acts, Okay, um, the pastoral epistles, uh, I'm sorry, church epistles, Romans through Second Thessalonians, and then the pastoral epistles, uh, First and uh, Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, the Hebrew transitional bo uh, books, uh, uh, Hebrews, James, First and Second Peter, First, uh, Second, Third John, and uh, I'm sorry, uh, Second Peter, and then John's epistles, First, Second, Third John. And then the end times epistles, which is Jude and Revelation. So those are just kind of natural divisions. Now you also have in, in, in your Bible, not only divisions, but something called dispensations, which are divisions uh, or stewardships. And we talked about that at the time. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Um, so there are divisions that you and I are told specifically in that verse to go rightly divide. In other words, put them in the right place. So if you're going to obey the Father, then you, you need to know how to do that. And that's kind of what this class is really all about when you boil it down. Understanding, you know, how do I... How do I study my Bible? Well, I got to understand, I got to get the context right, and then all these things will help me to do that and take that jigsaw puzzle and go, oh, wow, I didn't see that before. It's so clear. How did I miss that? I do that all the time. Part of that's because I'm me. Some of you are smarter than me. Most of you are probably smarter than me. Some of us need that visual picture, and that'll help you. Now, when it comes to dispensations, there are seven major dispensations I'm going to give you here real quick that we went over. You have the dispensation of innocence, which is the Edemic um, dispensation. Uh, then you have the dispensation of conscience, the Adamic um, dispensation. The, the first one is before the fall. second one's after. Okay. Um, the third one is human government, dispensation of human government, and this is the Noah's time, if you will. Um, you have the dispensation of promise, which, of course, is Abraham, the dispensation of the law, which, of course, is Moses, 
And then you get into where we're at today, and that is the dispensation of grace. And I want to say something here real quick. Grace and the grace of God exists from Genesis to Revelation, okay? Without, without God, there is no grace, by the way. He is grace. But he is always given grace. The dispensation of grace is the church age, okay? The death of the testator right up until whenever that trumpet sounds and the rapture happens and we're, we meet him in the air. Amen? That'll be great. That's the church age or what's called the age of grace. Um, the last one is the uh, kingdom dispensation, uh, the millennial uh, a time of a thousand years where the Lord returns and we return with him and he rules and reigns on this earth. So those are the divisions. Now, the next thing that we looked at was application, the um, biblical principle of application. How do I apply these things? Well, what, what do you mean by that, Mark? Here's the principle. All Scripture has three applications, and every verse in your Bible is going to break down into one of these, okay? Sometimes more than one. Uh, or I'm, Let me say that again because I said that wrong. Every verse in your Bible all three of these applications are there, okay? Every verse has a doctrinal application. In other words, the knowledge of it. What, what is it about? We talked about the um, example of, in the Old Testament, taking a lamb without spot or blemish and sacrificing it, okay? Now, doctrinally, that is something that was given under the law of Moses, okay, to the children of Israel to do for their sins. That, that, and there's a whole, lot, a whole lot more, but I'm, I'm just using that as a focal point, okay? Doctrinally, that is to them, okay? We don't do that, all right? Because there's a different doctrine. Now, historical application is the second one, and that is simply, it actually happened. Remember this, the Bible is referred to by the world and way too often by people in the church as being sometimes mythical or it's it's not completely real it's just the way man trying to figure out what was being told them could figure out so this is what they said to make it make sense well that makes no sense okay god is god and, and god can explain himself and and can have the man write it down the way he needs to in fact there are times we're told that they're writing things and they don't even really understand what it is they're writing well why well, I've been there. Lord, I don't understand why, but I'm going to do it. And wow, guess what? Things work out, and I actually grow. Over time, I start to understand and see those things. So a doctrinal, a doctrinal application, a historical application, and then an inspirational or practical application. Uh, again, in the Old Testament, doctrinally, that's not to me. Historically, it happened, okay, just the way the Bible records it. But inspirationally, even though it's not doctrinally written to me, take the book of Psalms. A lot of people go there, and it's a good place to go. There's a lot of things in there that I can go to, and they give me comfort. They inspire me. I, I can get something out of that. Or a practical, I, I read Proverbs every day, and I get instruction there every day. And it's very practical every day. Even though doctrinally, it's to someone else, practically, 
I'm getting instruction that I can use that day, okay? So doctrinal application, historical application, and then inspirational or um, practical, or some people call it devotional application. Um, doctrine is simply information that's to be taught. Um, history, of course, is, is what actually happened. And then, of course, inspirationally, uh, you have all those examples and the fact that I can read something and all of a sudden there's a message there for me to learn from it, okay? And there's a lot of examples, but for time's sake, we're not going over this. This is just a quick review. The next thing we looked at was understanding the importance of individual words. Now, this is a big key. Again, you know, we talked about those trails. These are like trailhead markers, okay? Individual words. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Okay? If you go on a hike and you've never been on that trail, you, you could get lost. You, you could have some trouble. But if you have a guide, right, now I can just follow him and I can, I can listen to him and he'll warn me about things. Or he'll tell me, we're going to be coming up on a vista where you're going to be able to see all this. Okay, cool, because I have a guide. Well, every word of God is pure. He's a shield to me. If I will use his word, if I will do what he says and get in there and learn these things, now as I go down this trail called life, my guide, the word of God, the Holy Spirit of God says, hey, Mark, there, there's, a, there's a pitfall up here we got to watch out for. You know, sometimes they're just roots that are sticking up. Sometimes, man, there's, there's, there's a lot of snakes over here, okay? Now, I know for some of you ladies, I'm not going on that trail anymore. I hate to tell you, trail life has snakes on it. You can't get off, okay? So it's good to know where they are so you can follow the one that can show you how to avoid them and how to deal with them. Amen? So that kind of speaks to itself. Now, words, the weight of words. Words have meaning. And we kind of talked about this just a little bit earlier, and that is simply this. A word is not just important, but it's, it has a meaning. It has a definition. And if I don't get the definition of the author, then I'm not going to have the right understanding, let alone application, of what that author wrote, right? If my definition is different than the author's, I'm not going to get the message. I want the message, don't you? So I need to get that definition. Uh, every word in the Bible has a purpose. It's been divinely placed and preserved. We'll talk about that here in a moment. For me, for you, okay? Every word, according to Proverbs 30, every word is pure. Psalms 12, verse 6 and 7. Man, the words of God are pure words. As silver tried in the furnace of earth. These, these, these words are important. And God has chosen each and every one of them for you, for me. So understanding those words, why he put them there, what they actually mean. Um, when we talk about jot and tittle, the, the, those are actually things within the Hebrew language. A jot uh, or jod, as it's uh, called, is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Um, the tittle is a pin stroke that you see uh, in Psalms, like where there's rest. And so understanding those things gives you an understanding of what God is saying and why he's doing it that way. Um, 
discovering key words and phrases, and we'll, we'll speak to that here in a moment also, uh, will open up doors for you. Have you ever gone someplace and you had to have a key to get into the door and you didn't have that key? And so you couldn't get in the door, right? So you're asking, who has a key? And everybody's trying to find a key. Where's that key? And you're looking. Finally, somebody has a key. Boom, now you're in. That's what understanding words and their importance in the Word of God is. Because otherwise, let's be honest, sometimes you're reading the Word of God and you're reading away and there's a word you don't really know. And instead of writing it down to go look up, you just keep right on going, right? I know you do because I, I've done that, all right? We've all done that. No idea what that word means. I'm going to keep on, keep on reading, okay? Get in the habit of writing those words down and then maybe once a week going and saying, okay, let me, let me find out what all these words are. Write the word down, put where you saw it, and then go back and look them up. And after a while, I mean, if you're reading at least three chapters a day, you're getting through your Bible once a year, one chapter a day, you get through it in three years, you can cover a lot of ground without, you know, sprinting the whole time, right? So you'll start to, to find, oh, okay, that's what that word is about. And we'll talk about how you do that here in a bit. Um, there are key words and key phrases made up by words, obviously. Uh, the day of the Lord, very important phrase in your Bible, okay? It tells you something very specific. If you miss that, you're going to miss what he's talking about. The day excuse me, the day of Christ uh, refers specifically to the rapture, okay? If you're reading that and you say, oh, I remember something about the day of the Lord, okay, those must be the same thing because, you know, Jesus Christ is Lord, right? Well, that, that kind of makes sense except that Lord is spelled L-O-R-D and Christ is spelled C-H-R-I-S-T. So they're clearly two different words, right? That, that means there's, there's something else going on. One has to do with the rapture. Uh, the other one has to do with the second coming. Both involve Christ, totally different times, totally different events. Okay, it's important to know that. And if you, if you don't, boom, you're missing what's going on. Or you make a wrong application and, and maybe even start teaching people or telling people that's what it means and it's not. So it's very important. Amen? Amen? Anybody? All right, good. You know me, I got to have a little bit of feedback or it's just like I'm at home and talking and nobody's listening, which, you know, that's usually what happens at home. So, okay, the next thing we looked at was preservation. Preservation is extremely important. Um, the principle here is that God has perfectly preserved his word in, in our case, the English language or whatever language you, you speak so that we might have uh, an understanding of his truth, what he is telling us. John 21, verses 24 and 25 say this. This is the, the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Now, that's the last two verses in the, in the Gospel of John. He says, man, if we wrote down every word, the world couldn't even contain all the books that would be written. Here's the deal. If you have a Bible, you have absolutely everything that you need. 
This is the mind of Christ, according to the Bible. This is written by him. This is, this is everything. If I have that, I've got everything I need, okay? Because, let's face it, this is a supernatural book. This isn't like the other books on your shelf, okay? Or stacked in your corner, or for some of us, both, okay? This is something different. This is totally different. Bible tells us in, in, in Proverbs 8, man, that there is nothing that was made that wasn't made without him and that this is his mind. So if you want to find out everything, believe me, it's all here. Now, our minds are never going to figure that out this side of heaven, but you can get everything you need to have. Most of us have a Bible, and we're not getting anywhere near what God has for us in it, okay? And you can change that. We can all change that. Preservation. God has preserved his words, not just his ideas or his intentions and that kind of thing. And you'll, you'll read that sometimes in the preface of a Bible. Um, what they're telling you is, well, this is what we think he meant when he said these things. This is, this is what the best scholars know that, according to us, this is what God meant. I, I don't want to know somebody else's opinion about what God said. I want to know what, what did God say. So God has preserved his word for us. And if he hasn't, well, then he couldn't hold us accountable, could he? All right? But we are. Uh, again, you know, uh, Proverbs 30, every word of God is pure, right? Um, if you think about uh, back there with, with uh, Moses up on the mount, and God actually wrote those Ten Commandments out, Right? Written by him. And, you know, you can, you can say, Moses, you're so dumb. You got mad and threw him down. Like we wouldn't have done the same thing or worse. Let's be honest. He's like, okay. He goes back, and, of course, we know we, we, we get them, but God has preserved it. He didn't, just because man does something to it, that doesn't stop God and what he's doing. Any more than Moses stopped God by breaking nose. Oh, my gosh, now we don't know. He's still God, okay? I can't do something that thwarts him. I'm either on board with him or I'm not. That's what that boils down to. Okay, next thing. Understand the theme of the Bible. This is a very important principle. Uh, the theme of the Bible, here's your principle on this. The theme of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is the kingdom. Um, what do you need if you have a kingdom? A king, okay? Who's the king? King Jesus, that's right. And, and the theme of the Bible, start to finish, is the kingdom. Now, God established it. The devil tries to mess it up repeatedly. We're not going into that tonight because we're doing this overview. But repeatedly, he's thwarting. He's trying to thwart as if... Okay, and remember, this is, this is someone who spent, we don't know how much time with God, but he still does not understand. I, you can't stop what God is doing. Again, you can either be a part of it or you can suffer the consequences. Okay? That's what Satan did. Okay? Lucifer, previously known as the, the uh, not angel, but the cherub formerly known as Lucifer. We'll refer to him like that. Isaiah 9, 6 says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government 
shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, speaking of Jesus prophetically in coming. He is the king of his kingdom. He's the king of all kingdoms, actually. All right? He's the Lord of lords. He's going to sit on his throne in Jerusalem at one time and rule for a thousand years. Um, he, there's a lot of things that this has to do with. History and the Bible record the struggle over the kingdom, and, uh, and we spent uh, a, lot of, a lot of good time on, on this. So just remember that thing. The uh, next thing we looked at was the principle of the law first mentioned. Now, this is a really good, uh, again, one of those little trailheads that really helps. The principle is this. God established his biblical patterns through the law first mentioned throughout the entire Bible. What does that mean? Okay, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. All right? So that's the first time he mentioned some things. All right? God. All right? That's the first word in your Bible. I'm sorry, the fourth word in your Bible. In the beginning, God. All right? And then what did he do? He created. What did he create? The heaven and the earth. Now I have several reference points to go back to. What God does is he establishes a pattern throughout the Bible by the first appearance of that key word or phrase. And so when you see it, and you put, here's a phrase, or something. Now, I, now I've got the pattern. This, this is how that's supposed to look. So when it doesn't look like that, I know it doesn't match that. Something happens, something is different. There's all kinds of examples. Um, in Genesis, we have the first mention of the serpent, right? Uh, he's mentioned then, and it's consistent throughout the Word of, uh, of God. We also have the pattern seen there in Genesis 3, those first five verses. The first time that you see uh, Satan attacking humanity, all right? And there's five things that he does that gives you his MO, his modus operandi for the way he works throughout the rest of the Bible. You will see that. And not only, not only that, but you'll see it in the world. You'll see it in life at times. You'll say, wait, wait a minute. That's, that's not God's ways. That's the devil's ways. The, the word Christian first appears where? Anybody know? It's in Acts. That's right, Acts 11, okay, 26. They're first called Christians in Antioch. So, again, here's, here's a word that's very important, right? Christian. That's, there's our reference point. So, there's a lot of good things there. It's very important. It's very eye-opening. Uh, it helps you to see things. Along with that, the next principle is understanding the principle of last mention. And what God does here is he uses last mention to show us a fulfilled truth. For instance, uh, Revelation twenty-two thirteen: I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. See, God puts an emphasis on this, this first and last thing, beginning and end, okay, fulfilling something. So what happens? In Genesis, we see the appearance of the tree of life. That's very important to the fulfillment of God's kingdom. So what do we see in the Bible? We see him establishing the tree of life in Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. And then in, in Revelation 2 20 and 22, he lays out what's going on with this tree as he reestablishes the kingdom. So you'll see, and that's just one. The sun is another one. Blood is a is a huge one throughout the Bible. The first mention and the last mention, there's, there's a lot of good principles there. Um, then we looked at understanding biblical patterns. 
patterns. Now, patterns are interesting. The principle here is that once God has established a pattern in his word, it remains consistent just like words. What do we mean by that? Okay. So Hosea 12, verse 10 says, I have also spoken by the prophets, and I have multiplied visions and used similitudes by the ministry of the prophets. Similitudes, okay? Things that are similar, all right? This is a great teaching tool. Almost everybody that teaches or sells or does any type of present uses similitudes. I've used them even tonight. It's, it's very common. The Spirit of God teaches us truth in the Word of God by comparing word pictures throughout, those similitudes, okay? So uh, you see Jesus do it with the, uh, the, the uh, disciples and with the, the Pharisees several times. Um, let me read you a few verses, and we'll pick out two main words here that, that you would focus on and that we looked at. Psalm uh, 42.1, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. 2 Samuel 21, 19. And there was again a battle in Gob with the Philistines, where uh, Elhanah, the son of Jari Oregon, a Bethlehemite, slew the brother of, Go of uh, Goliath, the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And then 2 Samuel 22, verse 34, he says, He maketh my feet like hind's feet, and setteth me upon high places. Now, the key words here, and these are key words that you ought to note and have in your mind at all times, uh, they're the most common thing that you see in the Word of God when it comes to similitudes, and those are the two words you saw in those three verses, the words like and as. This is important because a lot of times people get into trouble and you'll hear folks teach something saying, look right here, it says blah, blah, blah. So this is what, this is what that is. But what it says is just like here in the first one we read. The heart pants at the water brooks, right? And he says, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Okay, he doesn't say that his heart is like a heart, which is a deer, okay, uh, panting. It says, as the heart panteth. Well, how does he do that? He's there and he's thirsty for it, man. He's coming to a water brook and he is panting because he needs that refreshing water. As, not the exact thing, but as. The way that heart wants that water, he's saying is, that's how my soul pants after thee, God. I'm thirsty for you. I got to be there every day to get it, okay? As. Um, in Second Samuel 21 there, where he's talking about uh, uh, the slaying of the, of the brother, one of the brothers of Goliath, the Gittite. It says, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Now, I have heard, and I've even seen pictures where all of a sudden there's, there's Goliath, and he's got a weaver's beam for, for a thing. It's like, wait, it doesn't say it's a weaver's beam. It says it's like a weaver's beam, which is very big, very thick, okay? It's like that, so, so you know what it's like. Now, the other thing is, this gives you a lot of, remember the three applications of Scripture, doctrinal, historical, and inspirational or practical, this is where a lot of that comes in. You see the like and as, and you're like, okay, hey, yeah, I need to be, I need to be thirsty for the things of God. Like he's talking about there, like, like, like a deer 
is thirsty and, and got to get down to that water every day. That, that's how I need to be. So that's an inspirational application. That's taking these principles where you can apply them. 2 Samuel 22, he maketh my feet like hind's feet. He didn't say his feet were hind's feet. He said they were like hind's feet. He sets me upon high places. A, a hind is something that can climb like a ram, okay? And they can climb like crazy. It says that's like, not the same. Uh, in Isaiah, he talks about being as a lamb led to the slaughter. This is Christ's suffering, being an example, and, and so forth. There's, there's a lot of this in the Word of God, and we looked at a lot of that. Then we looked at the principle of the importance of numbers in the Bible. And, uh, and I gave you a little warning here. Uh, just like all of these, to a certain extent, context is absolute. Um, your three applications of Scripture are absolute. But numbers... Okay, again, these are like trailheads. Um, it's not every time you see a certain number, it's always going to be this. You, you, you got to pay attention. Okay, we're, what's going on here? Okay, so we looked at um, several numbers. Number one, the unity of God. Two, division or separation. Uh, three, God's power or uh, structure of the universe uh, is the way I, I like to put it. Everything breaks down into threes, land, sea, and air. Uh, you know, water vapor and, and, and what is that, liquid vapor and steam, I mean, or uh, what's the other one? Thank you, there you go, solid liquid gas. See, people smarter than me, I need that help. Okay, everything breaks down to threes, uh, always. Four, the number four, the manifestation of God's order and creation. Five, number of death and, uh, in some instances, the number of grace. Uh, number six, the number of man. Uh, when you see it. That's why uh, you see there talking about uh, the Antichrist. You know, his number is the number of a man, six, uh, 600, six. That's 666, number of man. It's not the only place, by the way, but it's just a good example. Seven. Seven usually has to do with perfection uh, or creation, uh, generally perfection. Uh, seven days of creation, seven churches, candlesticks, Seals, horns of lamb, eyes, trumpets, cups. I mean, there's, there's all these things with sevens that, that's amazing. Uh, eight. Eight is the number of new beginnings or resurrection, but that's a new beginning. So, new beginnings. Um, number nine has to do with fruit bearing, usually. Uh, when, when we talk about the uh, nine fruit of the Spirit, if you actually look at that, it's the nine slices of the fruit of the Spirit. Single fruit, nine slices. Um, you say, that's weird. Well, go back to uh, Revelation there where you see a tree that, that brings forth a different fruit every month. Whoa, that's pretty cool. So uh, that's consistent with how God works, how he does things. Ten, the number ten usually has to do with Gentile nations. Uh, not, uh, Noah, for instance, was the father of all nations. He was the tenth from Adam. Nimrod established the first Gentile kingdom in Genesis 10 and on and on. Uh, the number 12 we looked at is the number of Hebrews, the 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes, um, the 12 apostles. Uh, New Jerusalem has 12 gates. The tree of life has 12 manner fruit, um, and so on. Number 13. Number 13 generally has to do with rebellion. Um, that's fairly consistent as well. The first mention deals with war, that you see the number 13. Satan is called a rebel 13 times in Revelation. Now, 13 is the age of typical teenage rebellion in our world, uh, so to speak. 
the world is superstition of that, uh, superstitious about that number 13, right? Um, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but in most buildings, if you get in an elevator and you want to punch floor 13, what's going to happen? It doesn't exist. It's a superstition thing. Not all buildings, but most. And that's worldwide, by the way. Okay? A lot of crazy things. Um, when the United States broke away from England and, uh, uh, you know, 1776, July 4th, signed the Declaration of Independence, how many, how many states or colonies were there? Thirteen, right? It, it, crazy thing. Uh, the last number we looked at was number 40. Number 40 usually deals with trial or testing. Uh, Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness. Moses spent 40 days and nights receiving the law in Exodus. First reign on the earth was 40 uh, days and nights. The spies went out 40 days and, and so on and so on. There, there's a lot there. A um, lot of different things. Now, we spent time on all these things, um, and I would encourage you, uh, if you've not gone through this, to look at those things as you go through. Um, Talk to us if you don't have the material. We'll, we'll work with you on that or let you know when the next uh, one comes up. Thank you. Um, for us, we're going to next week start right here on the very next one, which is understanding the supernatural in the natural. What do we mean by that? Let me give you the principle. Turn over to Romans chapter 1, verse 20. I'm just going to give you this part. Um, called a, a teaser, okay? Kind of like the, uh, how many of you remember, uh, Sharon, you probably do, but the magazines where they had what they call scratch and sniff. You'll probably never see that again now that COVID-19's been around, but, but you know, you, you would scratch a little thing in a magazine and you, you could smell the fragrance then of the perfume or cologne or whatever that they were trying to sell or, or what, you know, outdoor magazine scratch, it smells like wood bark or something. I don't know, woodworkers or sawdust, I, I don't know, but kind of cool this that's what this is Romans chapter 1 and uh, verse 20 um, very interesting thing said here in fact the whole first chapter of Romans is uh, a fantastic place to spend time really there's you could you could go through um, the book of Romans itself but particularly the first chapter of Romans verse by verse and, and probably take a year minimum uh, to do it justice but we're not going to do that. <laughs> I could. I would love to. Um, but I'd get forcibly removed if I did that. So we'll be doing that. Um, Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. This is where this principle of this understanding the supernatural in the natural. And it simply says this. For the invisible things of him, God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So the Bible clearly states that God manifests himself, the truth, through his creation. You can see him in creation. I actually have a, a little, this isn't doctrine or anything, this is for free, you don't have to pay extra for this. But uh, I think that one of the reasons that uh, we have such a low God consciousness in our country today and a lot of the rest of the world for that matter is because today 90% of our population lives in large cities. 100 years ago, 90% of our population lived 
in rural areas and only 10% in big cities. If you live in big cities, you don't see all the cycles and all the nature and all the things that somebody in a rural setting does where that creation just speaks to you loudly sometimes of the existence of God, of, of how he works and what he does. You know, if, if, when you live in a city, and I've lived in both, uh, but if you live in a city, you know, the change of seasons, you know, just means it's, it's snowing or it's hot and humid or it's, you know, it's, it's breezy. I've got to wear a jacket now or, or whatnot. But, man, if you live out rural where those seasons, you see them coming and going. You, you, regardless of what it says on the calendar, when, when you smell a little something in the air or when you feel a little bite in, in that wind, you know what's coming. In the city, you don't always know those things. And, and so I have this theory, let's put it that way, that uh, that's one of the contributing factors to the lack of a good God consciousness in our nation today uh, as opposed to what it was you know, 250 years ago, just before um, you know, we broke away, uh, right up until the last 200 years or so. So we're going to look at that, um, and we'll take take some time to do that beginning next week. Um, the review tonight, for those of you who have not been in this class, and for those of you who have, uh, it's a good reminder, right, of where have we been, what have we looked at. Remember this, that very first, very first principle is what? Context, context. If you get the context wrong, boy, we're in trouble, right? I mean, it's a, and, and I'll give you this example. I, we, we, uh, we went out as domestic missionaries to the Southwest 20-some years ago, and we were in uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico for three years, and then we went to Arizona, to Phoenix. When we went to Phoenix, we hadn't been there long, and I'm, I'm working with a church as an associate pastor. We're actually starting a church uh, from scratch, and it's growing. God is really blessing it. And uh, one of the couples uh, and us had decided, hey, we're going to get together and grab something to eat and talk about some of the, the ministry things. So I go to the spot. don't see him, so we're waiting. And so we call each other. I don't remember who called who. And said, you know, that? yeah, we're here. We're here. So we're here. I'm like, I don't see you. And I said, well, there's a, there's a Mimi's right, right over here, and then there's a a car wash right here, and then and named off four or five different stores. They said, yeah, that, yeah, I still don't see you. You know what happened? We were four miles apart. But in Phoenix, they put the exact same thing together over and over and over because people there, I would have people all the time say, hey, why don't we go out to here? And they'd be like, oh, my gosh, that's like nine miles away. I'm like, hello? They don't like to go far. They don't like to travel. I'm like, man, you can't. To go anywhere in Missouri, you got to go, you know, nine miles, maybe 20, you know. There's a big deal to them. So they repeat. I mean, every single thing I looked at was exactly what he was describing to me. There was the Mimi's. There was the car wash. There's a car wash everywhere in Phoenix because it's sunshine all the time. There's all the stuff is exactly the same, but we were in two different places. And that's what happens with context. If you don't have the right context, context, Everything looks right, but you're not in the right place, okay? That's how important that can be. And the rest of these things help you to see that context, to confirm that context, 
to enlighten it, reveal it. As I said, you know, it helps you put that jigsaw puzzle together. So we looked at, uh, so far, uh, principle of context, principle of people groups, Jews, Gentile, and the church, uh, the principle of biblical divisions, whether it's uh, dispensations or breakdowns in your Bible, old and new. Uh, we looked at the principle of understanding application. We looked at the principle of understanding the importance of individual words. We looked at the uh, principle of understanding preservation. Big, big, big deal. And there's a lot of good material out there on that. Uh, we looked at understanding the theme of the Bible, understanding the principle of the law of first mention and the law of last mention. We looked at the principle of understanding biblical patterns and understanding numerical significance. And uh, that's a good start. That gets us a little over halfway through, almost two-thirds, not quite. And we're going to motor through starting next week, uh, beginning with understanding uh, the principle of the supernatural and the natural using Romans 120 there uh, as, a, as a good principle, as a, as a starting point. So look forward to seeing you next week. Again, take these things as you read your Bible every day. Look for these things. Identify, you know, hey, which, which people groups is this talking to? What's the doctrinal application? Is this written for me or is this written to me specifically? Uh, look at all, all these things. Watch for those words like an ad. Watch for some of the key phrases, and we'll help you to understand a lot of those. In fact, I, I was going to send some of those out, and with COVID, we didn't. Uh, but uh, we can do that here going forward, too, because there's a lot of those things. Yes, sir. So all you have to do is go to the website, right? Listen tab on the website and uh, go and do that. If there's something you, you don't remember or if there's something that you're not clear on or if you want to just listen to each of them so you can, can, can kind of get caught up uh, with everything. My day start around 4.30, so my tongue gets a little tired by this time of night, okay? <laughs> Sorry. But uh, we've still got, uh, I don't know, about a dozen things to cover. Um, these are good things, fun things. You know, the thing that I love about the principles of Bible study is that it really does exactly what I said. It, it helps you to see this big picture to where your Bible doesn't become just a book. It becomes one of those picture books. Remember those that your kids or grandkids had where you open it up and this whole thing pops up, right? And, and, and now it's like it's in 3D. And so now you're not reading about it. You're actually looking at it. And when you get the principles down, that's what happens. When you read through your Bible, boom, it pops up, and you can actually see it, not just see about it. Amen? All right, let's, uh, let's pray, and uh, we'll be done tonight, but we'll see you again here next week. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we do.